Hi everyone, this is Nick Pollock here for Roar Lions Roar. Uh, I just wanted to add a quick disclaimer before the beginning of this podcast. The original plan was to post this as a video on YouTube, so we did actually film um, ourselves doing this. However, due to some technical difficulties with working through some new systems, we aren't able to post the video this time. Um, we will in the future going forward is the plan. Uh, but if you hear us reference uh you know, things in the video or what we're wearing or anything like that. It's probably going to be weird this time because we're just audio, but, you know, sorry about that. And in the future, going forward, we'll hopefully have those posted as videos. But aside from that, please enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to, uh, I think we're called Roar Lions right now. We're not 100% sure we're still working that part of this out, but uh, we are the Penn State podcast off of the blog that shut down recently, uh, and we decided we were going to live on as a podcast, and here we are. This is the first episode of that. I'm your host, Bill DeFilpo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I, I get to talk to both of you, and I, I get to see both of you as we're recording this. This is like a new era in in podcasting for this band of misfits. That's right, and speaking of the band of misfits, uh, Nick Polak is here. Nick, what's going on? Yeah, this is uh this is big time, you know. We're getting cleaner audio. We're gonna get started getting some videos on YouTube. This is this is intense. It, it's it's certainly uh not bad. We did not plan on all wearing blog attire that just kind of happened. Uh so you can't buy these shirts anymore because we don't have a website. But we do have our podcast, and uh I think a good way to start off this episode is just Kind of explain what we're going to be doing here. I'm going to uh, hand that baton over to Matt as he was the person in charge of the website. So Matt, uh, what the heck's happening? Well, as I'm sure everyone listening knows, we made the decision back in two months ago now, back in early June, that um, the blog in its previous iteration um, had, had come to its uh, appropriate end. Um, when we started Roar Lions Roar back, um, gosh, exact as we're recording this, exactly six years and like um, oh, wow. 21 hours, because we launched on like August 1st um, at midnight, um, 2016, which was a fortuitous year, as we all know, in, in Penn State football history. Um, but as we're recording this, you know, just a little over six years um, f- to the day from when we launched, um, just as I think we said in our farewell post, we were um, life has changed an awful lot. Um, like it has for all of us in the last couple of years with COVID, but um, you know, Nick and I are both married, Bill, you have a dog. Um, you're an uncle now. Um, you know, just a, life had a way of kind of catching up um, as, as those of you watching on YouTube, will see, I've got an empty bookshelf behind me. Um, my wife and I are in the process of packing up and moving um, just, just a lot has changed and the ability to put the time into the website, you know, with the daily updates and whatnot, that, um, if we were going to do it with the right way to do it just became harder and harder. Um, and that held true for really, you know, virtually the entire staff. Um, so when we made that decision, we wanted to surely let some time pass and kind of let, let the dust settle a little bit. Um, but we all kind of knew that we wanted to keep doing something and the idea of the podcast kind of kept coming up as far as something that theoretically allows us to kind of keep our presence among, you know, the the internet sphere of Penn State fandom, um, but with ideally a little less upfront time commitment on, on our respective parts. You know, we're not editing 
posts every day. We're not having to find topics to write about, um, not having to be able to jump on a recruit committee at a moment's notice, those sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we'll certainly try, you know, if we get major breaking news in the coming months, you know, with big recruits or, you know, you know, major news in, in Penn State athletics, um, you know, we hope that we have the ability to kind of record something quickly like that. But um, we're going to give this a shot. Um, as you can see, we've kind of upgraded the um, obviously with the video, but also hopefully a little bit better audio and fancy microphones. Um, and Bill's really fancy AirPods because um, we had an Amazon issue with with his his microphone. But um, we wanted to try and do something that um, felt a little bit more like our primary focus in this space. So here we are. Um, we're going to see how it goes. We're going to try and you know put together a kind of rotating cast of characters among a half dozen of us or so that you'll see over the next um, you know few weeks as we roll out season previews and things like that. Um, and just kind of see what happens and hopefully give you guys, um, plenty of entertainment and different opinions and, um, you know, a a space to share your thoughts. You know, we'll be a little more active on social media than we've been, probably not to the level that we were pre podcast, but, um, no, we're, we're excited. I think uh, I can speak for certainly all three of us and then the the rest of the group that you'll, you'll see in the coming weeks that, um, we're, we're really excited to try this out, see where it goes and hopefully um, create a different kind of, of outlet for, for Penn state. Yeah. And the big thing is we are no longer under the oppressive regime of 11 warriors. They really put limits on the sorts of things we could talk about. We couldn't talk about 11 warriors connections to the Saudi Arabian Royal family. We couldn't talk about their references uh, in the Panama papers. Uh, None of the people with 11 warriors remember where they, were on the day of the JFK assassination. So a lot of stuff. A lot uh, of- I hear 11 Warriors is also joining Live Golf. That's right. Well, that's the connection to the Saudi royal family I mentioned a moment ago. So a lot of stuff uh, we will dive into. This is, if along with the Penn State football uh, and ex- expose of 11 Warriors podcast. And of course, I'm kidding. Uh, we want to thank uh, 11 Warriors, Jason Priestes, for everything they did for us over the years. Really great partners and really great uh, people to work with and uh, help us build up a presence away from a lot of the bigger places where there already were established presences in the Penn State internet sphere. Uh, Nick, anything, final things you want to add before we, uh, before we, Talk a little bit of Penn State football up in here. I think the main thing is just thanks to everyone who has been following the blog for all these years, you know, both from the very beginning and those who jumped in along the way. Uh, like Matt said, it, it wasn't for a lack of wanting to continue writing on our end at all. It, it just became a little untenable for the number of writers that we had. Uh, but we really appreciate the support that you all have given us, and we hope you continue to support us now with our, you know, our refreshed podcast. We're hoping to do big things. uh, Agreed. And uh, of course, we're all going to be coming together to talk about something that we we all love, which is Penn State athletics. Uh, Obviously, our primary focus is going to be football. We are going to dive into a few other things. We have some stuff lined up with uh, some friends from elsewhere in the media who are going to come on uh, and talk about football from a few other different angles with us. Uh, A lot of really fun stuff in the cards and all of it is going to be based around, well, a lot of it, because we are going to branch out and do some fun other stuff. But a lot of it is going to be based around the Penn State Nittany Lion football program coming off a seven and six season last year, four and five in conference play. A bit of a bad taste in everyone's mouths to end the year as the team 
lost in the Outback Bowl to Arkansas, 24 to 10 the last time that we saw them. And we're entering a really interesting season for Penn State football. We will do a few deep dive podcasts a little bit later, uh, possibly in the week. We'll see how things shake out there, but definitely as we get closer and closer to Penn State's Thursday night season opener on September 1st against Purdue. But I think it's good if we just start with our general expectations. We won't dive in too terribly deep. Just kind of our general thoughts as we sit here a month or so out, we've had the whole offseason to process what last year's team was and what this year's team can potentially be. And Nick, I want to start with Penn State's offense. Last year, uh, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say Penn State's offense was a disappointment. The Nittany Lions were 72nd nationally in offensive SP+. We saw a bunch of games last year. The Arkansas game is a good example. The Michigan game, uh, stretches of the game against Ohio State. Illinois won all of Illinois, everything about Illinois. Um, And even in a couple of the wins where the offense just didn't really look particularly impressive in their first year under Mike Yersich. So as we enter year two, as we enter the 2022 season, what are just kind of your broad general thoughts about what what we can expect from the Penn State offense this season? Yeah, you know, it was a big talking point uh, kind of as the season went on last year about – this weird, this weird comment that kept coming up from James Franklin, where he kept saying that to Mike Yersich that they needed to run the football, and I feel like that, you know, that running storyline was a good representation of the Penn State offense last year because something just felt off. Like it, it, like that's a weird comment to say, and the Penn State offense last year to me just it felt weird. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know when we look back, we kind of think about the two, the two you know, timelines of the Penn State offense was pre-Clifford injury and post-Clifford injury. But even pre-Clifford injury, they still can run the ball. Sean Clifford was the only one on the team that could run the ball effectively. And I think that kind of was the source of most of the frustrations frustrations on the offense because even though they were producing in those first, what, uh, six games, I think it was, before Clifford got maybe five, um, even then, you know, Five games, and then Clifford got hurt in game six against Iowa. Um, But even then, you know, I mean, they were living pretty dangerously. They were converting a lot of long third downs. They were really relying on Jahan Dotson to do some amazing things. Um, And so even when the offense was going good last year, it wasn't necessarily a well-running machine, you might say, which is not what fans were hoping for in the first year of Mike Yersich, right? Like, Mike Yersich comes in uh, having some experience at some with some really fantastic college football offenses. And I think fans were hoping for a little more Um, whether they should have been, you know, I think is up for debate. I think we often have forgotten over the last couple of how uh, tumultuous Sean Clifford's kind of Penn state career has been in terms of COVID and in terms of a rotating door of offensive coordinators and all that jazz. Um, so it's to me, that's when I think about last year's offense, it, it was just weird. Like that's not what we're used to seeing. And we've seen different coordinators come in obviously, but that's not the Penn state offense. We're used to seeing that's not the Penn state run game. We're used to seeing, and it is something just felt off. And as far as going towards to looking ahead to this year, 
I mean, I know my expectations are a lot higher. Um, I think mainly just because there will actually be stable, you know, figurehead as the offensive mind in Mike Yurcich back, Sean Clifford back. Um, but yeah, to me, when I think about last year's offense, it, it just comes back to it was weird. It just didn't feel natural a lot of the time. Yeah, Matt, I we spoke about that, wrote about that, conversed amongst ourselves about that a whole hell of a lot last year. Uh, same question to you. Just what are your general expectations for Penn State's offense as we get closer and closer to the 2022 season? Well, I think the one thing that probably jumps out to me more than anything, at least at this point, is there seems to be – more confidence around kind of the key players, you know, Sean Clifford, you know, saying the right, a lot of guys are saying the right things. And yeah, I know it's easy to do that in, in August, you know, camp just open the day. Um, but it's, it feels like there's more of a comfort level between players and coaches. You know, this is their second year with Mike Yurcich's system, um, you know, up front, you know, the offensive line is the, the recurring theme and James Franklin's even kind of, um, not even kind of, he has said, he said in Indianapolis during media days last week that, um, he's done talking about it. Um, you know, he's gonna let, let them show it. Um, I think we all expect them to be better, but we've said that for how many off seasons now? Um, but I think specifically to the offensive line along that same line of thought is, um, this is their second full year with Phil Troutwine. Um, and we talked about it a lot last season, that thanks to COVID and the the circumstances and timeline around his hiring, he never really got to work with his position group until whatever fall camp looked like in in September of 2020, when the big 10 decided they were going to play after all and kind of threw it together. Um, But as we've talked about ad nauseum position groups were broken up and they never met as a full team. And it, it was, you know, Nick talking about last year being weird, 2020, um, you know, all sorts of weirdness. Um, so it feels like, and I know there's, you know, certainly, and I think James Franklin would admit as much that there's some risk around bringing back basically the entire cast of characters um, on offense, save for Jahan Dodson um, from an offense that was pretty pedestrian at best a year ago. Um, but I think that is, confidence in Sean Clifford returning for his 15th year in college um, confidence in him having the first year that he's had the same offensive coordinator in back-to-back seasons. You know, he's alluded to the comfort level in the system now in year two. Um, I think there's more of a confidence around what is behind him. You know, we saw Christian Veyu in spurts last year, um, some good, some bad, but he's back um, for his third year in the program then obviously Drew Aller, um, you know, the, the wonder kid who um, I think a lot of us are expecting to see at least a little bit of this fall. Um, and then Bo Prabula, the kind of un- the forgotten guy um, who got rave reviews during the offseason program and um, has taken on a leadership role early on by all indications. I think there's more of a comfort level with the quarterback position as a whole and you know, if something were to happen to Sean Clifford, it's not, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like it has been to some degree the last couple of years. Um, I know they you know, had Will Levis a couple of years ago, but when he got his shot, there was a, a significant amount of inconsistency. Um, but I think for me though, I look at wide receiver, Parker Johnson or Parker Washington, um, Mitchell Tinsley, Keandre Lambert-Smith, um, there's a lot of talent there. We have 
tight end room that underperformed last year, but between Theo Johnson, um, Brenton Strange, there's there's a level of talent there. And then at running back, you've got the two freshmen, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, who I think all of us expect huge things from that maybe in a way a year ago where they were super reliant on Sean Clifford getting the ball to Jahan Dotson, there's more options this year where it's not all going to be on him. And I go with along those same lines, I go back to 2019 when you had journey Brown and you had KJ Hamler, you had an emerging Jahan Dotson. It wasn't all on Sean Clifford and they won 11 games and were Jahan Dotson tripping on the 10 yard line in Minnesota away from winning 11 or winning 12 and probably going back. Why'd you got to bring that up, Matt? Cause I was there and we all need to experience that pain again. But, but I, I think, if you go back and remember, you know, as, as many issues as that offense had, it was productive and won a lot of games and they did it without having to rely on Sean Clifford. Now, if Penn state has dreams of winning the big 10 and going to the playoff, then you, yeah, you need Sean Clifford to take that next step. But I think in an honest moment, we would all probably, you know, Penn state's going to go 10 and two and go to a new Year's six bowl game. I think we would all sign up for that right now, given where the program has been the last couple of years. And I think where we see it going with the way the they're recruiting and the young talent that's in the program. Um, that's I, I there, there's, there's a reason for hope on offense to get back to the, the question and, yeah. you know, proof will be in the pudding here in 30 days from now, but um, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons for optimism. And I'm an optimistic guy as everyone who's listened to me over the years knows. And um I'm I'm excited to see how it all comes together because I think that's that second year and that level of confidence is is a big thing from a team that really didn't have a whole lot after Sean Clifford got hurt last year. So here's the thing. This is the third time in James Franklin's tenure at Penn State that his team has returned the starting quarterback and the starting offensive coordinator from the prior year. 2015, they brought back John Donovan and Christian Hackenberg. 2017, they brought back uh, Joe Moorhead and Trace McSorley. Since then, 2018, new offensive coordinator. 2019, new quarterback. 2020, new offensive coordinator. 2021, new offensive coordinator. This is a, you know, it's not unprecedented by any stretch of the imagination for Penn State football, but it's not something that happens all the time. And last year, I'm going to give a quick hat tip to our pal Bill Connolly. for some stuff that he wrote in his recent piece, how 20 college football teams become legit national title contenders. Sean Clifford last year had a top 10 total QBR when he was injured against Penn State's game against Iowa. That wasn't for the game, that was for the season. Up until about midway through the second quarter of the sixth game of the year, Sean Clifford was one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the country by total QBR. After he left that game, don't need to remind you what happens. Comes back against Illinois, and from that point on, he was 85th in the country. I don't know if I am comfortable enough saying I think Sean Clifford is going to be a top 10 quarterback in college football this year by the numbers, but the closer he is to the former, the better it's going to be, stating the obvious there. And the fact that he's healthy in the, in the second year with the same offensive coordinator for the first time in his collegiate career should help. Second thing. Penn State's red zone offense was terrible last year. Yes, part of this goes back to their inability to run the football. They were 116th in stuff rate, uh, which is run stops at or behind the line of scrimmage, and 105th in rushing success rate. But Penn State was a 121st 
in red zone touchdown rate. When Penn State's offense got the ball close to the end zone, they were really bad at doing that last little bit. And all that leads me to say, Penn State's offense, my general expectation is it's almost impossible for it to be worse than it was last year. I do think that offensive coordinator has something to prove. I think basically everybody on this offensive coaching staff, except for Taylor Stubblefield, because I think he's done a really nice job with the wide receivers. Uh, I think they lack a really clear-cut number one guy, but I think they have a lot of bites at the apple there. And even if that doesn't happen, I think the way they can do a wide receiver and tight end room by committee is really impressive. But Mike Yurcich has a lot to prove as a quarterback coach as an offensive coordinator this year. Jawan Sider, hand he dealt, wasn't particularly great last year. I don't think we need to... Uh, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, but we need to see more out of his running backs. And obviously a big part of that is Phil Troutwine's offensive line has, has, has to be better. We have plenty of reason to think they should. But even with all that said, the sheer fact that it's hard for Penn State, if Penn State's offense is worse than it was last year, we're throwing this entire season out, baby with the bathwater in this thing. Mike Yurcich is losing his job. Phil Troutline is losing his job. Maybe one or two other coaches end up losing their jobs. And it has to be a going back to the drawing board on everything. But I don't think that's going to happen. The question then becomes, are they going to be a step up? Are they going to go from the 72nd offense in the country by SP Plus to 60th? Are they able to be a top 50 offense, a top 30 offense Whatever it's going to be, I probably err on the side of, you know, if they could be a top 40 to 50-ish offense, I think that's going to be a pretty nice season, but we'll see. Like, that's basically what I'm expecting, in part because I have some concerns about Sean Clifford as a starting quarterback, and those are something we'll dive into as we uh, do our big offensive preview. Let's go to the defensive side of the football. It's a... Uh, an interesting time for Penn State's defense. Obviously, Brent Pry finally left to take the head coaching job at Virginia Tech. In comes former Miami head coach and you know longtime defensive coordinator at a number of different places in college football, Manny Diaz. Um, they lost five guys to the NFL draft: Arnold Ebiquette, Jaquan Brisker, uh, Brandon Smith, Tariq Castrofield, Jesse Lukita are all gone. Uh, but having said that. It was a really good defense last year, six nationally and defensive SP plus. And Matt, what are your general expectations for a defense that could end up looking a little bit different? I think um, you, you almost have to start with uh, PJ Mustafer coming back. So I think as much as we talked last year about Sean Clifford's injury and the impact it had um, going, you know, for the second half of the year, basically, um, I think because the defense still performed pretty well um, with with some exceptions over the second half of the year, I think it made it easy to forget how big of a loss that was. So getting him back, and by all accounts, he's close to 100% after the injury he suffered at Iowa last year. Um, I think that combined with the experience that, it, that, that his injury led to um, a number of guys getting in the wake of his, of, of him going out, um, you think about guys like Devon Ellis, Kaziah Izzard, um, 
getting those reps that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten and, and really performing quite well. Um, and then you get Hakeem Bayman is coming back um, after missing last year for unspecified reasons. Um, Adiza Isaac coming back after missing last year with, with an Achilles injury um, to go along with guys like um, Nick Tarburton, who got played a lot last year. I mean, Vanover who got time last year, Smith Filbert, who had a really impressive um, bowl game. I think as much attention as the secondary is going to get deservedly. So I think that defensive line, um, and I didn't even mention Danny, Denise, Dennis Sutton um, coming in as a true freshman as one of the top players in the country in last year's recruiting class um, in chop Robinson coming over as a transfer from Maryland. I think that defensive line, you can make an argument might be as talented raw talent, but raw talent nonetheless as any group that James Franklin's had since he's been at Penn state um, with a secondary that, returns an awful lot of talent at really every position. Um, that's two really big components. Obviously the, the million dollar question is what are they going to do at linebacker? Cause they're so thin there. Um, obviously Curtis Jacobs coming back um, has a chance to, I think really turn a lot of heads and really emerge as, as a national name. Um, Jonathan Sutherland making them full-time move to linebacker will be something interesting to watch. I think there's some questions certainly there around that. Um, Kobe King and Tyler Elsden at middle linebacker, who among them emerges. Um, I think that's a question that goes into the season, certainly. Um, then you got a guy like Abdul Carter, um, who might be as as naturally talented as anyone in the linebacking core. Um, a guy like Jamari Budden, who redshirted last year. Um, Charlie Katcher, who is a redshirt senior, um, who's really dealt with injuries. Does, does he have an opportunity to make an impact? There's, there's a lot of opportunity at linebacker, um, but I think the experience in front of them and behind them and, and on the line and in the secondary um, and the, the, the guys that they have taking advantage of Manny Diaz and what we all expect to be a little bit more aggressive style of defensive football. Um, I think that can potentially hide some of those questions at linebacker while they try and figure them out. Um, and then, you know, going back to Curtis Jacobs, that's a guy that can really cover up a lot of um, potential issues with just his raw ability. Um, so, for different reasons, I think the defense is is as potentially exciting and interesting to watch, especially over the first couple of weeks when they kind of um, figure some stuff out in the fly with a tough tough opener at Purdue, um, the home opener against Ohio, and then going to Auburn. Um, but there there's there's a lot of talent at some really important spots. It needs to prove itself, but um, I, I think that's that's one of the exciting things about this team to me is um, you know watching that talent and who among those guys emerge and, and who are some guys that we maybe don't expect to take that big step ultimately do with, with the bigger opportunity they're going to get this year. Yeah. Nick, same question to you. What are your general expectations for Penn State's defense? Yeah. So I'm not, I don't know. Honestly, I, I, the whole team in general, I'm really unsure of what to expect this season just as a whole, but the defense, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I don't know. I just I, I feel it'd be anything from, you know, one of the lower end defenses we've seen at Penn State to one of the best I think that Penn State has a potentially all uh, all America type player at corner and Joey Porter. Um, I think that PJ Mustafer back could be an absolute superstar as long as he can stay healthy. Um Dennis Sutton I think could be a stud. I think Tarburton could be sneaky good this year. I 
I, th- I think overall the rate of the defense in general is going to depend on uh, King or Elsden, whoever wins up and whether or not they can really command the defense. But honestly, there's not really an outcome for this defense that would say, I think be pretty good. I think they should be one of the better defenses in the conference, but I don't feel especially confident saying that they will be. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I've, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like there's much overall star power on the defense right now as we've seen in years past. Though, like Matt said, Curtis Jacobs could very easily become the next, you know, superstar Penn State linebacker. Um, but overall, I just I don't know. It's it feels like there's maybe just like one one missing piece to really make this, you know, a signature James Franklin Penn State defense. Yeah, I mean I mentioned it, but the fact that they have to replace five guys that went to the NFL, three of them in Ebiquete, Brisker, and Rukita were all exceptional last year. Castro Fields had his ups and downs, but he was a good player. Smith, I know he's a polarizing guy among Penn State's State's fan base, but let me tell you this, I'd rather he was on this team uh, than isn't on this team this coming year. I think that's a really big hurdle to have to clear. I think that the way Manny Diaz wants his defenses to play, it's going to be more aggressive, in-your-face, trying to force big plays, uh, the turnovers, more sacks, more tackles for loss, that sort of thing that I think we saw with Brent Pry, who understood the value of keeping everything in front of you will give up eight yards as long as you don't get ten, we don't care. I am really worried. I think Matt hit the nail on the head about the defensive line. I think the secondary, very talented and going to be very, very good. I think Jair Brown in particular is a great, potentially monster season. My big concern is that linebacker room. I don't know. I mean, forget the talent level, which is good, but I think could be a bit higher. I just don't know if they have the sheer bodies to be able to, you know, have that be a real impact group. Beyond Curtis Jacobs, it's a lot of guys who have never played linebacker for extended periods in college football. And Jonathan Sutherland's played a little bit. Kobe King's played a little bit. Charlie Catcher's played a little bit. But it hasn't really been the kind – it's not the kind of linebacker room I think you expect when you hear Penn State. And that does concern me a bit. But otherwise – I think this defensive line is really good. Has a ton of talent. One of Nick's favorites, Sane Durant, is a guy who I want to make sure gets a shout-out because I think if he gets on the field, he has the potential to be a game-changer from day one. That secondary, quite good. Uh, I, you know, The fact that Jair Brown and Joey Porter Jr. came back is huge. Both of them could have gone to the NFL. Penn State got a huge boost there. But the, the middle of that defense, let's just say that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on from day one. Um, general expectations. For just this Penn State football team, what we think they can do, what we think they can accomplish. And I'll go first here because there's a comparison I want to make here, guys. And it is a comparison to the 2008 Penn State football team, which is 2018. I think going into that year, we all looked at that team and went, you know, this is a a good football team, a talented football team. But it's a lot of guys who I don't know if they're ready. I don't know if the timetable that everybody – I think the timetable for this team being very, very good is 2019 and a potentially beyond 
we ought to be getting into 2020, 2021. But I think that kind of ended up being proven correct. The 2019 team was really, really good. And I think the 2023 team can be really, really good because of a lot of the young talent that they have and how this year is going to be instrumental to their development. The comparison is that when we look at the 2018 team, what I think a lot of us did, my, I certainly will say that I did this, was I thought the fact that they had a quarterback in Trace McSorley who had played a lot of football, gone through a lot of stuff with this program, was going to be able to help elevate a team that otherwise probably wasn't ready to be elevated. And that team ended up going 9-4. and four. It went 6-3 and three in conference play, uh, ended up going to the Citrus Bowl. But it generally wasn't that convincing of a football team, I would argue. They lost big to Michigan. Uh, they lost a close one to Ohio State, which I don't need. We don't need to remember. Then lost to a not particularly great Michigan State team. It just wasn't quite what I think a lot of us expected when we heard Trace is coming back for one more year. And I don't think Sean Clifford is as good of a quarter, or he hasn't shown to be as good of a college quarterback as Trace McSorley. But I think when you have a guy who is a four-year starter, second year with this offensive coordinator, has a really good grasp on what is happening around him, that might lead you to overlook a couple of things. It might lead you to overlook the fact that the offensive line is still Penn State's offensive line. It might lead you to overlook the fact that the tight ends are a bunch of guys who really need to prove what we think they're capable of doing. If the wide receiver's kind of lack a guy in Jahan Dotson, like John Dotson, who you could throw it to and he'll spill you out. That the linebackers are not quite not, you know, not quite as impressive as I think we might think. That their depth in that secondary suddenly becomes a lot of dudes who haven't played a ton of football that you would be relying on if one guy goes down with the twisted ankle. That Penn State's special teams are a brand new punter in one form or fashion. And then a kicker who it's either someone who is brand new or a guy in Jake Pinnegar who's gone through a bunch of other, like, so there's just so much stuff here that I can't help but wonder if we're overlooking as we're talking about our general expectations for this Penn State football team. But having said that, this is a really talented team. I'm try, I'm not going into this season thinking that it's a New Year's Six team, but I absolutely think this is a team that can win eight or nine games and can show that it is building towards 2023, 2024 as this past recruiting class of the one before it and the one coming after, which is shaping up to be a very good one to get in. This could be a really dangerous football program, but for this year, I'm trying to temper my expectations on this team. Uh, Nick, I'll go to you as a team. What just, where do you kind of lead uh, when you look top to bottom on this Penn state football team heading into 2022? Well, first I hadn't really considered that 18 analogy. And I think it's a pretty good one. Um, I I I agree that I think the the better days for most of the current roster are a year or two years ahead of it rather than this one, with the exception of you know some guy obviously Sean Clifford. This is last year, uh, probably going to be the last year for Parker Washington at Penn State. I think he's going to be a stud. Uh, PJ Mustfer, you know some of the older guys, but um, I generally agree. I think I think that the this feels to me of more like a nine win team. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could be better. Um, if Sean Clifford really, I mean, if he's the guy he was pre-injury last year, then, you know, 
nothing's off the table, I don't think. But, um, you know, it's it just kind of like the defense. It just it's not quite all pieced together yet. It's like a little jigsaw puzzle that's like ninety percent of the way done. Um, it's it's just missing a couple pieces. And I think this is going to be a really valuable year, but I am not sure this is going to be the year that they, um, you know, challenge for the Big Ten East crown again. And hopefully by the time they do, the Big Ten East is a thing of the past and the divisions are gone and we're doing something different. That's a side. Yo, yeah, oh man, I really, I, boy, do I have some thoughts on Lincoln Riley that I can't wait to get off on this podcast. Uh, Matt, your turn. No, I think um, you guys both kind of hit it on the head to a large degree this team could win seven or eight games or it could win 10 or 11. And I don't think either one or anything in between would really surprise me. Cause there's like you both said, there's a lot of talent all over the field and in, in, in most places, but in a lot of cases it's unproven or has been inconsistent up to this point. Um, and so I think that raw talent gives you reason to say, Oh, this team is good enough to beat, every team but Ohio State on its schedule. It, it is at least as talented, if not more so, than everyone that's going to play other than Ohio State. But all those warts that we've seen over the last couple of years, um, both with players that are returning or coaching decisions or um, you know whatever you want to single out, does, you know, the, as we know in college football, the, the most talented team doesn't always win, obviously. And I think the issues that hopefully are improved from last year to this year are cleaned up. And, but I think there's, there's too much of them to say that, Oh, they're going to, they're going to solve all that. And they're, and they're going to win 11 games. They're going to beat everyone, but Ohio state, or they're going to beat Ohio state and, and drop a game at Michigan. We'll say. Um, but I, I think I, I love the 2018 analogy and I hate giving bill that much credit as you all know, but I think it really applies in a lot of ways. Obviously, um, you know, there's, you know, that 2018 team transitioned away from having the Saquon Barkley as the safety blanket on offense. Um, and, and I think one thing that we've talked about over the summer has been that there's some similarities to the 2016 team. Um, obviously, um, there isn't a Saquon Barkley. We don't think it'd be great if Nicholas Singleton turned into that. Um, it'd be great if Theo Johnson turned into a Mike Kosicki. It'd be great if Parker Washington and Kendra Lambert Smith were Deshaun Hamilton and Chris Godwin. But I think that's, that's a lot to ask. Um, that's a lot of questions to, that need to be answered. And I just don't think all of them get answered. Um, what I will say is I think we saw last year um, from a schedule standpoint, started out very similar to this year, obviously the tough road game in Madison to start the year and then hosting Auburn in week three Ball State. and they got through those. Um, I don't remember who they beat in games four and five. I think Villanova was in there and maybe someone else Ball before State. Iowa. Um, Ball State and Indiana. That's right. Um, and, and obviously that Indiana game, you know, in the, at the time felt a lot more impressed than it ended up being when we saw what the Hoosiers became throughout the year. But I think if they can get through West Lafayette and they can come out of Auburn at three and oh, then all of a sudden you see, you're, it's a team with confidence, and you saw that confidence kind of boil over against Iowa before Sean Clifford got hurt. Um, and, you know, the question that we asked a million times last year, and um, hopefully we stop asking it, but I'm going to do it one more time at least, is, you know, what happens if he doesn't get hurt? What happens in the rest of that game and going forward? Um, you know, 
mo- momentum is is not a real thing. You can't measure it, but it sure as hell in with college athletes, you know, you get a little bit of confidence and look what happens. And so I think if they come out of that opening three week schedule at three and O, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibilities. And, and especially if they can do it in, in an impressive fashion, you know, they, they answer some of those questions. Then I think 10 or 11 wins is on the table. Um, they could very easily come out of that stretch three and O and, you know, like Nick alluded to earlier, have, you know, have, have as many questions as, as there was going in. Yeah. They won the games, but oh, they still had issues on third down. They still had issues scoring in the red zone. Um, they couldn't get to the quarterback. And so I think that that's your, your seven, eight, nine wins. You know, when you look at what the rest of the schedule is going to look like. So, um, it's real easy to be optimistic on August 1st. And, and I'm, as like I said earlier, an, an optimistic guy. And, you know, if you can't be excited and you can't think, you know, oh, it'd be great if all these things can get answered in, in a positive way um, early on, you know, what could happen, then, you know, it's not a whole lot of fun being a fan if that's what you're thinking. Um, so we'll, I, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited to see some of these young kids. I'm excited to see Parker Washington, you know, become the number one guy. Nicholas Singleton, um, hopefully take the reins at running back. Um, see what Adiza Isaac can do after being hurt. Um, Danny Dennis Sutton, um, Curtis Jacobs, this, you know, all the guys in the secondary, it's, it's a lot of fun things to see what's coming. And, um, you know, as we'll get into a little bit more here over the couple, next couple of weeks leading into the season, um, we'll talk a little bit more about some of those questions and, um, you know, hopefully we get some good answers starting whatever day that Thursday opener against Purdue is. It's a Thursday, Matt. I, I know it's Thursday, but I don't know September first, Thursday. Uh, September. 8th, it is. It is September first. It's not this Thursday. That's right. If it, if it was this Thursday, wow, we started doing this podcast way too late. Uh, neither here nor there. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. Uh, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go to get uh, your podcast. We hope to have a few more of these for you this week uh yeah i haven't figured out how i'm going to sign these off yet but i'm working on it and i hope you enjoyed this episode of the pod one last time thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast for nick Pollock, for matt DeVere, i'm bill de take care everyone